<laughs> yeah, we are live. Um, hello, everyone. Welcome to this month's uh, Monero Meet. I hope everyone had a really lovely holiday season. Uh, of course, today we have a small crowd checking in. A bunch of people still must be in with the holidays. It's just uh, just Doug and I. So hopefully everything and is going Artic well. Was, was here. Arctic Mine was here for a second. I don't know what's happened to him. Let me shoot him at PM. Yeah, Arctic Mine was here for a second. Um, but is everything looking good on, on everyone else's end? I want to make sure the there's no cutting out. We, we, we delayed this a little bit because the preview pane on my end is cutting out every few seconds, but I cannot find any issues with this on other ends. So, um, you know, we're, we're just testing before we proceed any further to make sure there are no random judders. So please comment if, if you do see those. Um, otherwise, I'm going to mute myself. Good. Okay. Everything looks good. Yeah. looks okay. looks like everything is going good except for my preview pane. So apologies for that. Um, it seems to be working well everywhere else. Um, so yeah, we can start with some introductions. Thanks everyone for being here today. Uh, to those who have not been to a Monero meet before, they are just meant to be a super casual check-in, reason to talk you know, every few months, every few weeks. Um, about Monero and cover some of the latest news. So, of course, you have me, Justin, here, uh, mostly involved in the boring compliance side of things now, but, you know, I've been working on Monero projects for quite some time, including the Monero, uh, break, sorry, Breaking Monero series. And also, I am wearing my Cake Wallet shirt today. Woot, woot. I actually did not get this for free. This is not a sponsored ad, unlike all the other things you see from Cake. Vic's going to hate me, whoa, but... Whoa. Uh, <laughs> All right, um, Doug. What let, about me, you? Vic, let me message Vic and see if he wants to pop on. No, Vic. Vic is busy. He he, he texts me before. I, he actually gets email reminders from me. Like I have a calendar that gives people updates to keep him reminded, and so he uh, he texts me ahead of time. It's like, so I'm going to be busy. So he's on top of things at least. Yeah. Hey, uh, I'm Need Money Ninety. I'm a moderator in the community, among other things. Uh, yeah, good to be here at the Monero Meet. I don't think there's going to be a ton to talk about today, unless there is, and I'm just, like, forgetting the agenda. You're just too busy playing cyberpunk over the... Over no, I, I finished that weeks ago. Okay, okay, yeah. A lot of, a lot of good feedback on the PC side for that, though. <laughs> um, okay, what's on the docket for today? Oh my gosh, so much. Um, I, I was thinking we could start talking first about, um, you know, the ongoing network attacks, right? Monero is up to, what, 0.17.1.9 at this point. You know, after over the course of very few months, Monero has put out a ton of point releases. And I think, mm -hmm. like, it's easy for even me to take this for granted because in the past... You know, getting a point release used to be like pulling teeth, right? Like, I don't know how much you remember this, Doug, but it used to yeah. be, it used to take a lot of just annoying running around and things. And now, like, I haven't really had to do anything at all. And, you know, the developers put out these great patches and then they make their way in. And the blog post is just there. Like, you know, Celsta and, and, and the like have done such a good job streamlining this process where from a community member's perspective, it just shows up and it shows up pretty quickly, right? Like we're able, you know, the dev team is able to push out these updates really, really quickly now. And there's very little friction by comparison. Now, I, I mean, I do know that we're asking people to upgrade, which of course is, is friction, but just on the 
on the back end developer coordination, put everything together side. Like I, I, you know, they put me out of a job. Like I don't have anything to do anymore. They, they are <laughs> so down at this point. It's, it's great. Yeah. So if anyone wants to know the specifics, uh, VT nerd could not be here today, but he had his two recent episodes on Monero talk where he goes into those in, in, in more detail. Now, I want to really, really stress, no funds have ever been at risk as a result of these. It was just someone that was trying to either learn information about someone's IP address or trying to block transaction propagation or otherwise mess with nodes. So I, I'd like to note, they tried to learn information about people's IP addresses rather unsuccessfully. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Like, Dan, you know, Dandelion Plus Plus made it rather unsuccessful. Not not that they ever would have had certainty, perhaps, for the other cases, unless they were running nodes that people were like using as as lightweight the nodes. Network was eclipsed, yeah. Exactly. So uh, Dandelion Plus Plus further makes it more difficult and reduces the exposure. Um, whoa, hey Arctic Mine, can you hear us now? I finally got the sound to work. Hello. Hello. Welcome. We were just talking about the network attacks. Ah. Um, yes. And, uh, yeah. And how, oh, we? and how the devs have really streamlined the release process, at least from an external perspective, maybe for their perspective, they're just working 90 hour weeks, but it, uh, it, it looks nice from our end. It looks very professional. Well, it's working in the sense that we have our transactions rates back up again. Oh, I haven't looked at the transaction rates recently. Yeah, that's the metric. Yeah, you're, you need to mute yourself when you're typing need money. But yeah, the the I, I haven't looked in the next, last few days, but you know, December was by you know a, a, a healthy margin. It's top number of top Monero's top month for number of transactions. Um, and the month before that was November, which at that point was the previous month, or, or that, that was Monero's best month um, up to the point. Um, Arctic Mine, have you looked at the numbers more recently than like uh, late December? Well, what we saw was, uh, what I saw was a drop, and it was a drop of about um, 65% from the peak, and now starting to, uh, to come back up again. And it looked to me very much like it was frustration with these nodes. So we saw a drop uh, at the end of December, and now it's coming back up again. That's kind of what I'm saying. Got it. Yeah, yeah I did. Five to thirty k. <clears throat> yeah, it's coming twenty five to thirty k in December, right before uh, Christmas, mm -hmm. and then it fell all the way down to about eleven k uh, Christmas ish, and uh, after that, it's risen back up on the second of January. It looks like to about twenty eight k right now. We're sitting at about twenty-one, so yeah. which is which is what I would expect. Um, there is yeah, a bit of fluctuation. We are near highs. Uh, we have. It looks like our current transaction count. We have never been above that kind of transaction count before mid-November. So we are. We're at highs, effectively. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's what nice. should be. Yeah. And, and I wish like Vic could be on here, but he he talked about how they're increasing like cake wallet signups. What 30%. was it? Thirty percent. Yeah, thirty percent week over week. Oh, week. 
that's insane, right? Like we have a bunch of people talking about like what are who is causing these transactions because there is rightful concern that if there was an attacker that was spamming transactions, it would be good to know. But and obviously we 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 don't ever have enough information to completely rule something like that out. But we do know that organic growth is also up. So that is really, really cool. We need to make our network more transparent so that we can tell more about what's happening underneath, like user statistics. Um, actually, it'd be surprising if you just look at trends over, over like, not just uh, if you just look at a trend over a few days, but if you look at trends over years, then you really get some idea of what's going on. And the natural fluctuations that were attributed to attacks were not out of proportion with what was the history of... Um, fluctuations in the Monero network. And it's just that the numbers are high. So, so no, I, I look at this carefully because, of course, uh, when you do all the scaling stuff, and, and one of the things that I realized is that our um, it's basically our even our long-term medium scaling is too, too low. Uh, One second. Doug, can you mute yourself, please? Oh, yes, yes, yes. My bad. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I think the microphone is picking up the keyboard. Um, basically, what I'll say is that our growth, our organic transaction growth allowable in the long term mean is actually too low. I mean, that's one of the things that this is demonstrating to me. I was looking at uh, um, issue 70 in MRL, which I've been working on for quite a while. And so, yeah, I mean, I watch this stuff all the time and it didn't sound to me abnormal. But then when you see the disruption of the nodes combined with the sudden drop in transactions, yes, Christmas Day, you would expect it to drop. But it kind of continued into into um, early January until it started to pick up again, and that will also be indicative of attacks. So, so yeah, so the that's kind of the you can you can tell a lot from looking at average transaction rates, and you can tell it's not as simple as hiding a spam attack in Monero as it may appear. Yeah, I think that's one of the, the interesting points is that you know. Monero has a lot of these privacy features, but like there's still the transaction amount, uh, sorry, the transaction existence is, is still known. So it, it doesn't mean that you're able to, I mean, people still know a transaction is sent. And so there's, it, it, it's kind of, it, it really is a complex topic. I've had this discussion with, with people, mostly in the Zcash community, when they're going back and forth about a bunch of weird, you know, very, very more specific things. And um, there are, you know, at the end of the day, if, if you wanted to have a, one of those successful attacks, you'd have to like hide it, which is, it's more difficult. It's, it's easier said than done. Um, just because the sheer magnitude is still detectable. So, uh, pretty interesting on a similar note though. Uh, you know, there is a, a proposal to increase the ring size in Monero. Um, you know, th there's still some back and forth on how, you know, Monero will handle its next two, software updates um i, I want to say just for transparency there is some discussion for doing bulletproofs plus and triptych um assuming of course both go well at the same time um i don't think that's the best choice personally i think we're instead going to most likely go with two separate ones so bulletproofs plus first and then triptych later assuming that goes well um, but I wanted to be transparent that there are other people that, of course, have other opinions uh, there. Uh, however, assuming it does go the second route, 
uh, where we have two different upgrades. So one before Triptych for Bulletproofs Plus, there is an outstanding GitHub issue that is suggesting that people are discussing a potential increase to Monero's ring size. Um, Arctic Mine, can you give some you know background discussion on this real quick? Sure, can. Um, the last time we did this was in um, when we introduced um, the uh, Bulletproofs. And at that point in time, I ha uh, we had a 3,000-byte uh, reference transaction. What the reference transaction is basically a two-end-to-end transaction. And if you figure out what the minimum penalty free zone is, or minimum penalty, um, then you get a ratio of the two from which you can calculate whether it's mineable or not. I mean, that is essentially the question. What we've seen since then is that basically this reference transaction stayed at 3,000 bytes. Our transactions have gone down um, pretty well to about just under 2,900 and a bit lower with um, Bulletproofs Plus. So there's definitely quite a bit of room to go up. You could go up as high as 25 without changing this uh, reference transaction. Now, and, and this. Uh, pretty well, like I, I kind of like between 19 and 25, and just saying, I think 17. I mean, the, 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 all these numbers work, by the way. But the other thing to keep in mind that I, is that if you look at cryptic, cryptic transactions where they intersect with CLSAG is roughly about in the 20s. Um, I figure so you've got to be just under 3,000 bytes. If you, if we drop this reference transaction size, yes, you get a short term increase in fees, sorry, decrease in fees. But what also happens is when you go into something like cryptic, then you're going to have to race the whole thing back again. So it's kind of like we're going down and then back up again. So that's why I'm very reluctant to recommend going below uh, the 3,000 the reference transaction size. So then we're basically left, you know, if we did what we did uh, with um, at the time of uh, bullet proofs, we could go up to push it. You go up to 25. You can go in the 20 somewhere. Uh, you know, 23, if you want to be odd. Well, narrow, by the way, they're at 22 right now. Uh, and they're getting transactions in the 2600 uh, byte range, I think 26 uh, to 2700. So that's where they're in. So pretty well anywhere in the low 20s, I think will be reasonable. You could go below if you wanted to be more conservative. Um, you can go, I mean, like 17, I think is what, um, I think 17 is what you proposed, Justin. Yeah, so in the issue, I pulled up numbers for 11, which is the current size, uh, 13, 15, and 17. Um, and so far, most people have indicated that 17 is their preferred out of those choices. I think personally, my preferred is 15. And Knack, uh, who, who's a very knowledgeable person on the topic and has been for the every single ring size discussion we've really had, beyond the initial one to go to three, he's been heavily involved. Um, he seemingly wants, uh, it's, it seems at least some point he's suggesting sticking with 11 or increasing perhaps to 16. Um, but there's cer certainly some other, I, I think the conversation still has time to be like, there's, there's plenty of time for discussion here. We, there's no clear consensus at the moment. So uh, if anyone is interested in how rings work and the like, you know, this isn't perhaps the best intro because we're sort of jumping straight in with statistics that like we've been using in MRL for, you know, in many cases, years to help test some of these things. But it is a really nice summary of how we approach these 
uh, you know, what, what sorts of things we've looked at in the past and these problems and what we, we hope to address in the future. So um, that's something to keep in mind. I also do want to stress for people that in my personal opinion, uh, ring size 11 is not unsafe. I, I would not describe it as unsafe against targeted attacks. So we're not increasing the ring size, at least in my opinion, to deal with these sorts of situations. Instead, it's to build like a, a healthier buffer because more and more people are looking at the Monero network than they were in the past. So let's let's build a slightly healthier buffer here. Um, you know, um, one second, Justin. Be before we continue with the, this stuff, uh, I'd like to say hello to the two new people who just joined the chat. Yeah, thank welcome you. Welcome to the Monero meet. And also welcome to the Monero community. I think we've never yeah. seen either of your faces before. Mm. New year, new face is... Hey, Andres. Hi. How is everybody? I'm doing all right. Uh, it's a little early, but you know. <laughs> it's always early for you. <laughs> That's not true. Like after after about like 12 or 1 o'clock, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm in the swing of things. You should move to Europe. That way, you know, your, your time zones yeah. are more aligned with people in you know, Eastern U.S. time. Or Monero drinks instead of the Monero coffee. <laughs> it's nighttime. <laughs> hey, Lee, VT nerd. Yep, I'm here. Hello. Awesome, awesome recent Hello. Uh, Monero talk interviews. Thanks for going out and doing those. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess there are a lot of people interested in the attacks on, that, are, that were ongoing. I guess they're mitigated by now. At this point, are you finally getting a bit of a break, or is or is it just moving on to the next thing? Uh, well, it's kind of moving on to the next thing because there's a lot of stuff that I have like queued up that are like in PRs that are just unfinished, need to be done, and then um, bulletproof plus, bulletproof, uh, bulletproof plus, man, what a. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should like go through and do a. I ha actually have out? like a Looks decent like review of that. Um, maybe dropped. Uh, but it's mainly like optimization, small optimization things. Um, oh no! Like C plus plus style things. So, uh, yeah. So I mean, there, there's always like work to be done. It seems like because in the in the background, there's always like, well, we need to make wallets easier for third parties to create, right? So it's like there's a never ending. Welcome back. Cycles. Yeah, he was here the whole time for me. I don't know what's up on OBS. Yeah. OBS no. But um, yeah, uh, this is why it prioritizes the recording stream critically. That way, when we screw up, it will at least be sent immediately to everyone to the public. Should um, I just assume that people are talking and I, I just can't hear them? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and even though you have the, your camera off, you can do like this with the head. That always, that always helps. <laughs> Or you just, or what you say? I I learned from Vic what I'm supposed to do during a a presentation. If I'm like zoning out or something and and not into it, and then I just need to say something to get back in, I'll just be like, exactly, right? Yeah, exactly. There you go. You nailed it. You nailed it. Um. Okay, so any other conversations on ring size stuff besides you know this is an early discussion and you know we're, we're still we're still figuring it out. Prime numbers until we have to do powers of two. <laughs> well, then we have 17, 19, and 23. Yep. We could go for 23. That's the Illuminati number. 
I thought it was 33. No, it's, no, no, that's the Freemason number. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can't keep all this straight. Oh, we're going to. Dude, come on. Get your oh, conspiracies straight. This is Monero. Oh, we could uh, break with the prime number and go with 21, for example. It's another one. Or we could even go to an even. But I'm not sure if you go with an even number, does that disrupt the algorithms that we're using for. Um, uh, actually, finding a um, like choosing our up our our uh, fakes. Does I don't that disrupt so. that in any way? Uh, not that I'm not that I'm aware of. I don't think so because we just do a um, it, it it just sort of looks backward with an exponential back off just based on output distribution. So it doesn't really take into account. I don't think uh, the other outputs. It's like each one is selected in isolation. There's been some talk about maybe because there was some like some non-standard selection, and so there were people where uh, Mu was discussing like maybe we could do something to uh, prevent that, but it's kind of tricky for consensus rules. So as far as I know, no, even uh, it's the numbers are relevant. We're just sort of always chosen some for some reason prime numbers. I don't know. Yeah, so there's no real sensitivity going even versus odd. No, no, there may be a change with like triptych or something. I don't, I don't think there is. Uh, but yeah, I don't. That for the current version, I don't think there, there, there shouldn't be any, anything that I'm aware of. I'm not aware of anything either. I mean, I, I know it's it, changing these gives us an opportunity to look at these issues further, but uh, it, 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 I see them as refinements rather than like blockers, right? We. We have the ability to make it better, but like it's not worse if we just implement it like as is. The only thing that's worse is the efficiency, right? So we want to make it as as you know, get the best bang for the buck as possible out of there, right? It's not about your ring size and what you do with it. Um, so <laughs> the biggest problem there is going to be verification time because that's linear. Mm -hmm. uh, well, even after triptych, it's still linear. With um, with the ring size, and if you go in, for example, and you double the number of fakes or something like that, you've essentially made it. You've compensated for Moore's law in the last two and a half years. That more more than takes over for that. So it's not as if there's. I think a lot to be said for the gradual increase because it doesn't create the big shock uh, uh, from the perspective of Moore's law, for example, and processing power and that kind of thing as opposed to suddenly jumping it up, and that could be very disruptive. So uh, that's kind of my uh, feeling on the whole thing. I, I tend to be, my, my personal feelings are on the higher end of the range, so something in the 20s, mainly because I don't want to be, create too big a jump when we go into something like Cryptic, particularly on the side of verification. So it's sort of easier, easier in, as opposed to, that's kind of my feeling on it. But like yeah, I said, I, any one of those numbers works. As far as I can see. Yeah, I was in to follow up on that, I think it's important to remember that each time you add a ring number, you have to do a database lookup to get the public key. Um, the the transaction does not contain the original public key in the ring. It's just a a variable size integer. So as you're increasing the ring size, the the disk accesses are gonna go up. Um, and it's like a random because we're now doing random searching, it, it really, really hits up the disk. So to, to uh, Arctic Mind's point, um, it, uh, 
you know, if we go into the thousands, I mean, we're, we're, you at that point, you're probably really going to need a, a newer SSC drive or something along those lines. Like even something like a um, those onboard memory discs or, you know, uh, mm-hmm. um, the the flash drives that you can pull in and out may, may not have the, the disk assets time fast enough. So. So hold it. Sorry, for the normal user, that, that means that the syncing from the wallet is going to take longer, which increases ring size. Yeah, I mean, it, if, and again, it's gonna, like I said, it's going to depend on a number of different factors. Like if you have a really big RAM, you can keep a lot of the of these public keys in memory, and, and LMDB will do a good job of that. So it'll, it, it, and then there's, also the the caching of the disk itself you know what kind of memory internally does the, the disk have but yeah i mean if you're increasing that disk you're going to increase the chances that you have to do a disk access so you know you start getting up into the the triptych sizes of thousands i don't know it because when we do the performance analysis it just occurred to me we're typically doing just the cpu time we're not really doing the time that it takes to look up these public keys and it's kind of hard mm-hmm. to simulate i mean we, we could do a simulation but it's like a whole nother I, yeah, we'd have to do it like on mainnet, and it's just a, kind of a pain. Interesting point. Um, I, I just want to also quickly note that for Triptych, I think a more realistic size instead of the thousands is is more like sixty four, one twenty eight, like max two fifty six. Um, yes, because yeah. we might be able to shrink the yeah. Because I mean, in, yeah, I agree. It's kind of interesting because we can sort of increase it, but still have a really really small size. So. I, w- I was wondering regarding the, um, the usage on mobile phones, how will it, that Im- impact the performance of the mobile wallets? Especially since, mm. for, for example, in Monerullo, we have a lot of people on, on newer phones, but we also have like a big chunk of the, uh, at least the ones that we get from, from Google Play Store that are still on older versions or slower hardware. So, and one, they, of the, and one of the regular complaints is the amount of time that syncing takes, especially for people that don't use it regularly. So they maybe don't they don't use the wallet for three months or four months, and then they open up and, and they, they even think that it doesn't work because it's taking too long for them to be able to use. It depends. Are they downloading um, those wallets? Are they just streaming? Are they connecting to another node and then are just receiving because? The, yes. the right, so th- they really won't be impacted because they don't really inspect the ring members. The ring members yes. are pretty much just on the, on the node to verify the node. that they were authorized to transfer and to make sure that no money was created. The wallets don't actually care about that, so its primary concern is it's it's going to be pretty much flat as long as the the process of of the the view key stage really mm-hmm. doesn't change much. What about when sending transactions, Lee? Sending transaction is going to be interesting. It shouldn't be much longer because the way we select it, we're just sort of randomly selecting integers. Um, but what will happen is it'll take slightly longer for the database to find the the public the associated public keys to do the signature. But I mean, it. So I, again, it has to do with aggregate. So like the amount of time. I mean, we're we're talking like it's going to be just that when you're talking fractions of a second multiplied by the time the number of blocks times the number of transactions, that's why the verification time gets really, and this is sort of what Arctic Mine was getting at. It, the, 
you know, like constructing a transaction size of, of like a really big ring isn't, isn't really going to be too impactful. I mean, they may notice it, but it'll be short. It's just that when you, when you multiply, you know, 200 milliseconds or, or half, or I mean, half second would be really large, but I mean, you know, a half second when signing is nothing, but a half second, you know, per transaction is like massive when you're trying to catch up to the network. So that's sort of what he was, I think, pretty much referring to there. The, yeah. the, because you have to download it, process it. It just, it just adds everything. And it's, and it's really just the, the pure aggregate of, of transactions and everything that has to be done. Interesting. So it will it will impact more, for example, if we're trying to to make a node on a very low spec hardware, like the Monero right. boxes or stuff like that. But what Arctic Mine and I were discussing, yes, that would be um, the most impacted thing would be the node. And for what I was sort of shifting to was pointing out that it, the the type of drive they're using may be impacted. Hmm. Like you may even have to shift to. There's some now single board computers that you can do an NVM NVMe drive. Um, mm -hmm. and they have really good access, access time. So you can still get a computer for under $200 to do it, but, um, yeah, it'll, 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 it'll just be interesting because, and then, you know, the, the complaints in the Bitcoin community will sort of be, or the criticisms will sort of, uh, they're somewhat valid. So we'll have to keep an eye on that, I guess. Like that, that's why when people are starting like the thousand ring signatures, I don't know, like, like Arctic Mining said, it might be too aggressive if we just jump it and then, um, we find out that like that was a really bad idea. So we need everyone needs a 980 Pro in order to run a Monero node, right? Yeah, I mean, if you have a 980 Pro, then yeah, you're good. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I think my, my my concern is if we if we gradually raise it, then you 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 can kind of see it. But if you go to make this big jump, then it's actually mm -hmm. the, it's going to shock everything. And that's the thing that I that's one of the reasons why I was thinking of a hiring at this point to see okay. You know, let's push it a bit more now. And if you get pushback, then you can let and wait, say, Moore's Law, better technology, et cetera, to catch up to it. Um, but if you go in all the way, then it's going to take a long time. And that's the mm -hmm. that, that, that was kind of my, my idea of going also with a higher ring size. It kind of takes the sting out of the, the sudden shock. Now, the other one is, of course, is when you're dealing with hard drives, if you're dealing with a mechanical hard drive, the old HSDs, Size is absolutely critical there. So if you've got something which is like 10 terabytes, um, you can actually get those seek times down. But if mm. you've got something like, say, 500 uh, gigabytes, it's forget it. I mean, that's another issue to keep in mind. The mechanical drives, they spin at the same rate, basically. And what is happening is they have much higher density in the, uh, in the magnetic elements on them. So you're going to get a much lower seek times or something that's 10 terabytes. Yeah, then from something that's, yeah, say, for example, uh, 500 megabytes. Like, I've run Monero nodes on 10 terabyte. Actually, I have a 10 terabyte um, hard drive, a medical hard drive, and it does work, and, and it's reasonable, but it's the sheer size of it that helps. Or on another one that I had was the RAID array, with, which I built in uh, 2013, and it had, uh, it was a RAID 6 with, uh, Three terabyte hard drives, so a total of twelve terabytes visible, eighteen raw. So those kind of setups, yeah. I mean, you can you can still use mechanical drives, but the minute you start to get something out of a laptop, like you you know with five hundred under a gig uh, under a terabyte or even two hundred fifty gigs or whatever, forget it. 
it, it won't even work. So that's the other point. I mean, of mechanical drive. So size is a big one, but yes, yeah, seek times is the big. It's a big issue. Now those memory drives, NBM uh, memory drives, you can actually get cards, PCI Express cards with those things on them for for um, mm -hmm. desktops. So you could actually put something like that on a desktop. Yeah, I mean it. The 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 nice part is that I don't want I want to stress that we're not at the point. I think it's mainly about how much is the minimum cost for one of these systems. We're not at the point where you have to spend thousands. Thankfully, we're not like an Ethereum sort of level kind of thing. But um, yeah, but it is something we have to keep in mind. Yeah, actually, yesterday I yeah. priced out like, uh, what's what's my ideal like keyword ideal, not minimum. Like, what's my ideal Monero node device? And I wasn't like, there are diminishing returns. So you're right. I'm not going to be like, oh, well, I need the 980 Pro in this for it to work. Like, no, I was, I was like, but you know, get an NVMe SSD. You know, get. Uh, I think I put 32 gigs of RAM in there because you know, what if there's another Monero RAM attack? I want to be prepared, right? Um, so. Uh, you know, that, that was spec to like 600 bucks, including a pretty fancy case and stuff. Um, so that, and that, that's, again, that's like something that only a crazy person should buy that has money to blow on a Monero note. <laughs> um, well, I guess it, I guess it depends on your priorities. I mean, if you want to actually put together a Monero note cheaply, you can start with a, say, a five, 10 year old business laptop a good quality one, uh, max out the RAM, you'll get probably somewhere around 16 uh, gigs of RAM in the thing, which is more than enough. And then you just get a really, really good SSD. And that would do the trick. Um, so you don't really need, on the other hand, you can spend thousands of, like $1,000 on an iPad and you don't even run the thing. So I mean, I think if you optimize for something, I mean, it's kind of like, what do we want to do? But but the hard drive, or getting an SSD is by the far the simplest thing you can do on a cost return basis on this. That's my take right now. A good one. I think um, any final topics here before, we, or any discussions before I change topics here? Nothing here. All no, right. I think considering your, your, your notebooks, you you need to put like a good CPU in there and making like also a minor at the same time. You have you have your super monero box on the room. That's yeah. a different optimization. And then you've <laughs> got to decide where you put it. And you and if you've got a house or whatever, you want to pick the coldest part of the house so that you can actually get mm -hmm. a rebate on your heating bill. I mean, that's the concept there. Yeah, I would say when catching up. Having a quad core CPU is definitely nice compared to a dual core. I was using a laptop with a really, I put a 970 Evo in that um, to, to sync and, you know, do a bunch of the Monero blackball uh, stuff, tests. I think they, we call it the Monero, like, spent output list now is what we call them. Um, but the thing that was limiting me then was CPU, actually, not my hard drive or anything else. Um, but, you know. I, it, point is, you can run it on pretty much anything, but also if, if you're trying to make like an open node or whatever, like th there are things that make your life a lot easier. <laughs> um, okay, right. changing topics though. Uh, BTSE announced this week that they're offering a wrapped Monero asset, you know, an ERC-20 token 
What is everyone's thoughts here? I put my thoughts on a Twitter thread where I think wrapped assets are fine, but obviously there are a bunch of risks associated. So I want to hear some other people's opinions, though. No one's taking this mantle. Mm -hmm. I thought we need money. The next smart trader would would. All right. Sorry, I was dealing with with another thing. Uh, what was the topic? BTSE's wrapped XMR. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Oh gosh. Um, we are in as as moderators of a trading subreddit an awkward position where there are services that want to advertise their either custodial or uh, I mean their their custodial services for Monero, and we. It, it's difficult to have on this on the spot or even over a period of a several months say, oh, well, this is trustworthy or this isn't trustworthy or this looks kind of scammy, guys. Like as as a public source, we don't really. It's difficult to figure out when we should list people and when just to say, I'm sorry, we're not going to list you like we have services that we have on our avoid list that are that send us messages saying hey can we be removed sometimes they're very polite but i, I would say in in general though I, before we get you know too much on the moderation side like yeah but, i mean as far as wrapped xmr goes um i am i i haven't looked into the code apparently it's custodial through who justin um, BTSCs, as far as I can tell, is custodying it themselves. Yeah. Uh, not using a third provider and just the service itself being the custody person is uh, questionable. I, I don't know. I, I don't think that... I see why it would be very useful for adoption and making it easier to use Monero, but I'm not sure ease of use for something that appears like Monero is necessarily the smartest thing to do, lest you risk the users thinking that they're using a product that they are not. Well, we all know it brings Ethereum now is privacy, right? Um, it is? <laughs> I mean, I mean, let me... Okay, okay, can I, 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 let me summarize what I see here. The negative I see is empty Gox Bitcoin on the Ethereum blockchain. Or if you prefer, BTCE, and I'm talking the one that got shut down by the BTSE? government. BTSE? Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, BT, BTSE, yeah, that one, yeah. Um, uh, Bitcoin or Litecoin or Namecoin on the... Ethereum blocks. You can go on and pick whatever Quadriga CX Bitcoin Cash on the Ethereum network. I mean, that's what we're dealing here. So it really comes down to do you trust whoever's the custodial of the asset? I mean, that's ultimately what we're dealing with. Yes. In my opinion, in my opinion, these things need to be heavily regulated, to be blunt. The minute you have custodial assets, you need to have somebody there trying to figure out are these guys do you even have whatever they claim they have? I mean, with Monero, I mean, I've seen so many people go belly up being short Monero. I mean, that I don't know what to say. I mean, it's, so where's the Monero? Is, is, is it there or is it somewhere else? Or it's like that. I mean, but it's the same thing. I mean, it's, that's, it's, where's, the, where's these assets? I mean, 
Yeah. Before before even I just want to quickly describe what wrapping is because for a lot of people who are only involved in the Monero ecosystem, they might be mostly isolated from a lot of this. Um, so the idea of a wrapped asset generally means that you give some. In, in this case, what it means is that BTSE says, okay, you may give us one real Monero, and we will give you one ERC twenty token called WXMR that we have made. This is not on Monero; it's on Ethereum. And the idea is when you want to convert it back into real Monero, you go, okay, BTSC, here's my, you know, WXMR back. Give me one real Monero back. And of course there's opportunities and risks involved, but that's the general idea. So it's not actually doing anything on the Monero chain itself. You basically just give someone one asset and they give you another token in a way representative of the asset, but it's also, it's technically its own token. Right, so uh, that that's the idea of, of wrapped assets. Um, yeah, I mean, and 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 fundamentally, it is no different from a, a run on a bank on gold in eighteen fifty. I mean, is the gold in the vault or not? Doug, mute, please. Ah, sorry, I thought I would. <laughs> I mean, fundamentally, uh, you put it on a blockchain, but when you really get down to it, what we're dealing with is, is the Monero there? That's really what it was. To me, that's the fundamental question. Lee, did you have anything? I, I guess I wanted to say, I think, I think you, uh, what was it, Doug pointed this out? I guess the privacy angle, like do people realize, as long as I guess they're aware that it's not, doesn't come with any Monero level privacies probably? And uh, yeah, I mean, I, so what, what are these primarily used for? Like these, the so-called DeFi movement where you can earn interest and swap it and whatever on the Ethereum chain. Is that the idea? Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because up until this point, it's hilarious. Like it's just been hilarious for me to witness the way the cryptocurrency industry pictures certain things. Optics is everything right on when yeah. you have, BISC, which has been around forever, right, since 2014. And that's a sketchy exchange where you can trade, you know, Monero and Bitcoin, right? That's that's, that's real DeFi purposes. <laughs> but over here, you have Ethereum DeFi, right? Where you can lend people money, borrow money from people, trade with people with no KYC, AML, or anything at all. And that's okay because it's DeFi, right? It's it's Ethereum, right? People don't do anything sketchy on Ethereum. So it's kind of funny because this, this does allow people, apparently, you know, one of the users on Reddit reported that you don't even need to give someone your ID, give BTC your ID in order to exchange the assets back and forth. Although that could change at any point. We never know, right? But, um, you know, someone now has access to trade at least a wrapped Monero token on all of the decentralized exchange lending borrowing infrastructure that is built out on Ethereum, right? Like it's it, uh, with very low fees. With no, with very high fees. <laughs> <laughs> very high fees. Um, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. But but it's interesting. I, I think I... it's kind of funny how I think now you're going to see regulators all of a sudden be like, "Oh goodness!" Even though they're also still trading a transparent, you know token on ethereum right just because it's called wxmr people are gonna be like oh no now we're worried about all <laughs> it's just it's actually hilarious 
It's a magical name. Actually, I believe FinCEN has guidance on these things. Uh, in the latest, uh, in the 2019 guidance, they, they talk about this kind of stuff. And I think they see through the through what's there. I mean, there's a lot in, I, I, I generally, when I look at these uh, assets, I mean, I, I look at it from the point of view, so are we really doing anything different than we're doing like 100 years ago or 150 years ago? And the difference is you take something on a piece, gild a piece of paper and you call it a bearer bond or whatever, you stick it on the Ethereum blockchain, it's essentially the same thing. And it has the same regulatory problems. So there's nothing really new here. I mean, it's just wrapped in a different way that it looks different, but in reality, it's the same thing. So if you've got a, if someone is issuing a token, no matter what the token is, WXMR on the Ethereum blockchain, they have way higher regulatory issues than XMR itself does. And and the reason is because you got that custody, you got the, you got an MSB in the United States, you got a VAST, you got you got this. This control there, so it's fundamentally no, you know, much riskier from a regulatory perspective. Yeah, in the U.S., just for everyone's clarity, the activities start to become regulated when you accept funds. You have to actually accept them. So if you are running a technology platform like Shapeshift is now doing, right, where Shapeshift previously was trading with people. They accepted funds from their users and then sold other funds. That was regulated. That's why they had KYC. You got a bunch of slaps on the wrist for that one, right? Mm -hmm. um, but now they're just arguing that they're a technology provider. They never accept any funds. So that doesn't come on under the purview in the United States of like money transmission, which I don't want to go into a huge compliance discussion, but their argument is that they are not engaging in any regulated activities anymore. And, and considering so, it's Eric Voorhees, some very expensive lawyer's argument as well, which is, it, it's not just shapeshift. They've, they've got uh, probably some legal opinions saying, yeah, this is probably a place that you can push. And I've had some conversations with like some other compliance professionals. It's kind of interesting to be in rooms with them because, you know, to a large extent, it's not just about like, being compliant, because if it was all about being compliant, you didn't have security cameras all over your house, making sure you're not doing cash payments, right? So it's obviously not only about the compliance, nor is it only about any of these other things. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see them be like, oh, I cannot believe they're doing this. Well, I'm like, well, look at what is actually the law in the US. If you want to change it, but you have to make sure you're not including things like, is mining money transmission, right? Is running a node money transmission. And at the moment, it is not. It definitely is not. But when you start changing the definition of what it is, you need to be like, and I do expect people to try and change it in the future. Um, but it's yeah. it uh, it opens up a whole can of worms. Without going through further discussion, though, uh, you know, I also want to hand it off to Arctic Mine real quick to, to quickly introduce the Monero policy working group that we put together. So far, we put oh, out wow. two responses, but I, I want someone else to talk about it. So Arctic Mine. Okay, I'm going to focus primarily on the one that we put to FinCEN um, very recently. And the fundamental argument that we were making is that when you actually get down to the rule itself, it comes down to the treatment of um, 
crypto, uh, what are called centralized virtual currencies um, as the same as uh, monetary instruments. And the monetary instruments, the most people are familiar with is cash. Then there's a host of other stuff down there, which most people under the age of 60 are probably not familiar with. Under the age of 30, even their parents aren't familiar with. And I'm talking things like bearer checks, uh, traveler's checks. I've never used a traveler's check in my life. My parents used it. Uh, I've watched them use traveler's checks. I've never used one. I know a friend of mine who's 80. He's used uh, uh, traveler's checks. And I know, you know, but that's the kind of assets they're comparing it to. And I think one of the things that a lot of people missed with this, um, and overall, I mean, we took actually a very a supportive role, but with the concerns that you know you can't you gotta treat it like cash. It's this business of the counterparties. Now, what happened in the existing regulation is a critical point that a lot of people have missed, is that with the counterparties, when you actually cash a bearer check, and I don't know if people know what a bearer check, and a bearer check basically says to the bank. Whoever holds this check gets the cash. So that's the instruction to the bank. So you tell the bank, pay the bearer, I, whoever has that possession of that check, X amount of dollars. When you present that at the bank, they're going to KYC you. They're going to ask you for, for, for documentation. They're going to ask you for all of this. In the That's how it works in the cash system right now, in the fiat system. So, Instructing an exchange or instructing a, an MSP or whatever to pay Monero to somebody is essentially the same thing. You, you're saying to whoever is the bearer of that private key, pay the money because that's when you're doing paying your exchange. And what Finson has said is, okay, if you're going to do this, then we need to know the name and the address and a whole bunch of other information about the recipient or the payee in this example, which they call the counterparty. And the main reason, obviously, is because you don't have that second step where you have to present the check at a financial institution, like a check cash, you store whatever the cash should, you, you already get the cash. And that's a subtle distinction. And that's why they added that. And I think a lot of people read the stuff um, and they said, well, this is like overreach and so on and so forth. But they're not looking at the subtlety that really they're comparing it to an instrument that was popular 50 years ago. And that's the point that, like, for me, I called the tail end of it when I was a kid. So, so this is what they're comparing it to. And they're looking at the risk profile from that perspective, which is a legitimate one. And most people today, they probably have no idea what a check payable to cash is or, or, or a check where you don't put the payee person. You just leave that blank so anybody can fill out their name. This kind of stuff. Or endorsing a check, what it actually means. Uh, you're actually basically turning it into a, if you sign, endorse it on the back and you don't put any specification, you actually turn it into a bearer check, effectively. So if the person who endorses it is the um, the signer. If you then endorse it and say pay it to somebody else, then they change their payee. So the person who's paid it puts a note on the back of the check. Instead of paying me, pay this other person. And this is the, the subtleties that I think has been missed with. And so we basically made a presentation based upon that this is way better than what we have right now. And what we have right now is essentially this, there's nothing, and then there's this thing called chain analysis, blockchain surveillance, whatever you call it, KYT or whatever. They're supposed to mitigate the risk. And realistically, I mean, in, in a lot of cases, it simply doesn't. Uh, and this is even FinCEN recognized it, which is they said, uh, I think the quote that was made was, uh, 
It's not a panacea. And that's a really significant move for a regulator. The other critical thing is that while the actual um, rulemaking process was going on, there was a very short period of about two weeks, which again, that's been a major source of consternation. Congress steps in and changed the underlying legislation. So they then added to the definition of monetary instruments um, currency substitutes, which is a broader term that includes CBCs. And this happened in the middle of this rules process. So we submitted on the basis of the existing rules process, and then it, it, it became apparent that this, uh, um, this change had occurred, which essentially makes the regulation as presented actually more appropriate, but the process is now totally all over the place because they, they changed the law in the background. Um, and then they're trying to change the rules. It's kind of backwards. You, you, you first pass the legislation, and then you go through the rulemaking process to, to add the regulations. And in this case, they, they're in the middle of the rulemaking process, and they change the legislation. So that's kind of where we're at. But fundamentally, from the point of view of Monero, moving to this cash-like approach or this uh, bearer asset, bearer checks of 50 years ago, 60 years ago, approach to uh, regulation is actually very favorable because it treats it as it really should be treated. And that's the reason. So we were basically on one side and a lot of people were on the other. And I, do, and I think there was this misunderstanding of these 50-year-old instruments that only your grandparents use kind of thing. But anyway, that's my thought on that. I just want to really quickly say that if you are interested in Monero policy issues, we have a Monero policy working group now, and you can join Monero-Policy on Freenode IRC or Element Matrix, which is relayed to Freenode IRC. And uh, as Arctic Mind was saying, yes, it was the opinion of our group and certainly is not the opinion of everyone in the Monero community. We got pushed back, um, but it's the opinion of our group that everyone else in the cryptocurrency community is kind of whack in terms of how they're trying to do their, they're trying to justify their risk-based approach. And it almost always includes some weird, like, but we have chain analysis, which is fine as long as you also don't try and throw Monero under the bus. Up to this point, basically everyone's like, it's fine because this. And you're like, okay, well, we have Monero that doesn't have this. So what do you do? And everyone's like, not my problem. So, so that our approach here is like, okay, well, this is how we can actually like make sure people feel comfortable with it. Um, but it, it is, it, there's a lot that's going on. And like Arctic Mind said, the rule, like the, the powers to, to FinCEN actually changed on January 1st. Like, uh, was it January 1st or whenever, whenever the, the bill was whenever passed? The, the, oh. bill, the um, military, well, the bill went through Congress, Trump vetoed it. And then I think it was uh, the beta was overridden. This is military appropriations bills buried in there. And there were the changes, in, and it was right in the middle of the rulemaking process. One other thing I'd like to point out with these chain analysis things is you don't need anyone near the level of privacy that you have in Monero to break this stuff. They were freaking out over something as simple as uh, private send to Dash, which uh, actually break this stuff. I mean, it's just... You don't need perfect, near perfect privacy. No, Dash said yes, near privacy. Dash said their privacy was even worse than Bitcoin in many terms. So I don't dispute so, that. I don't dispute that because basically in Bitcoin you have all these add-ons that you don't have in Dash. This came from their mouth. But it's fine. It's I'm not yeah, yeah. in their mouth. They actually said no, no. this. It's hilarious. It took them like five minutes to tweet that out. 
But the point is, is they admitted that and they agreed to that. But the fact of the matter is that you can break a lot of the chain analysis of private standard dash. You don't the, the absence of near perfect privacy does not mean you got perfect surveillance. You have very imperfect surveillance of full of errors. You have basic picture without doing anything. He's got all this stuff away. So yeah, I could I, I can see why uh, private send and dash could tip a chain analysis algorithm right off uh, fairly easily. <laughs> There's some justification for the argument. So it's not just something as sophisticated as Monero. You need very basic stuff or break the stuff in many cases. I, I think that's a good point. We I, I, I do not not to waste all of our time shitting on some other project, but. I think Doug's point here is actually really good where <laughs> Dash is like, we are not a privacy coin. We have really bad outdated privacy functionality on the network that no one uses. Stop calling us a privacy coin. It has severely hurted, like harmed our ability to operate in like markets and the like. And they, they did this in their response. So like, you know, the Monero Policy Working Group gave our response to FinCEN where we like outlined why we were like, you know, specifically this, specifically that. And we disagreed with most of the cryptocurrency industry, but we did not do what Dash did, which is basically just write like six pages about why they feel they're not a privacy coin or an AEC. That was their entire response. Was After just six years of claiming <laughs> that they were. And Binary yeah, but, made, made a really good tweet. But, he made a really funny tweet about it. Um, and uh, if you were in the Monero Policy Freenode channel, you would have seen this before he tweeted it, just saying. But um, <laughs> in the response to you, you can see the PDF is like a, the third top of every page is just the dash logo. <laughs> Someone forgot to click the little... Uh, you know, separate header page button for their for their document, but so just persists on every page. <laughs> but the dash private send is actually very effective at throwing some of the chain analysis up. That's the point. It, it, it's a it's a seven year old coin joint technology that basically hasn't been upgraded in years, but it still does that job reasonably well. Yeah, the, the, the point is like, article, like on one hand, you have people complaining about this, right? Like this really outdated, very inadequate tool, and people are worried about this being too, you know, whatever. And, and to, to, you know, to some credit of these these blockchain analytics software, they're able to get around these through like targeted investigations. When it comes to like bulk surveillance, you're right. Like Arctic Mine users are going to be get wrapped up in a bunch of nonsense when when they're doing these things. Um, if, if it's just a program and obviously those get better over time, but most projects also aren't stagnant for seven years with the privacy features. They, they normally make some minor iteration, at least or improvement to try and make it better. Um, so yeah, it's, I think that really points to like why a Monero perspective, just reminding people, hello, cryptocurrencies do not need to be completely transparent. Hello. Make sure you're not responding in a way that assumes that they are because we're here and you need to deal with it. And Bitcoin even has its own coin join implementations, pay join the like. You know, use that argument if you have to. You, you don't have to think pay join is going to be implemented everywhere. You don't have to think it's appropriate, but you can still rightfully say like, you know, people are using this more and more. So you can't just pretend it's not a problem for assets you already support. So it's 
don't know. I've gotten more fired up recently where I, I'm, I'm just listening to like deluded people all the time about like, like hoping that it's not their problem when it already is their problem and they just don't want it to be. So they're just like hiding it in a bunch of like fake administrative that even FinCEN is like seen right through. And it's like, no, this, this, this really isn't enough people. You need to wise up. Um, so it's, it's yeah, interesting. It's failing. I mean, it's, and I think FinCEN's point was well taken. They, they actually identified the size of blockchains, which is a very interesting problem. Actually, I hadn't thought of that much about But the bigger the, the blockchain becomes, the harder it is to do this because you're not just, you're looking at essentially something approaches the back of the You're picking the bad apples out of the whole basket of apples. So if you've got N apples and K bad apples, well, that's N choose K, which is goes as a factorial. Within, so you really have pro it's real scaling problems as the blockchain grows with this kind of stuff, and I think that's what FinCEN hinted at in their in their concerns. So, so the one of the interesting legitimate concerns that they're raising there, and the other question, of course, they're raising is very true: is all this stuff is, is is open source? You can just drop it on another chain. Uh, a lot of the privacy technologies. There's a lot of add-on tools on Bitcoin. So, their their approach is this isn't really. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I think it basically just sort of broke the wall or broke the ice and sort of opened the door. And in many respects, for them to admit that, it's a it's a major breakthrough. The fact that it's, a, it's not a panacea, that's a major significant breakthrough. Um, yeah. Because they're saying, wait a minute, you know. So it's a, that's an interesting story. I just I just want to lighten the mood again. People, I, I shared the Matrix link too to the, the response in the chat, like every, uh, the the YouTube chat also, and we're all just laughing about how absurd <laughs> the design is. <laughs> oh, oh, there's the dash response. That one, yeah, it literally is every page, six pages, one point five of them are just their logo. <laughs> I I don't know if this is getting to YouTube. Uh, it's a shame that this hasn't like they didn't put their logo on anything. What <laughs> one person was saying? Uh, can can you actually real quick? Can you rotate the PDF? Double branding. Rotate the PDF 180 degrees. Also, I don't. For, oh no, it is going through. Okay, it's going through YouTube, so they can see it. The Dash people just know how to market and brand. That's all. It's funny if you rotate the dash. Oh, it definitely here, looks, it like, looks like USDC. Oh, wait, it does? Yeah, rotate it 180 degrees. I'm not sure I would call that knowing how to brand. It looks like it was done in MS Word. <laughs> MS? Oh, okay. Sorry, I thought you were like, anyway, yeah. Well, you could do it in Word. We, we do our Monero policy work. Like, honestly, we did that in. Uh, in Google Docs. Gosh, you, we need to have a Monero LaTeX work group that just converts all of our stuff into LaTeX. Yeah, LaTeX, beautiful. That's, that's uh, Google Docs is basically LibreOffice. That's what they. That's what's behind them. Oh, they did. Oh, neat. I mean, I guess they could just take that code. That's. Do, do, uh, is it GPL? What is LibreOffice under? Yeah, but it doesn't matter. GPL, as long as it's not a GPL. Oh, USD. that's kind of interesting. Right. USDC. You're right. 
<laughs> Whoa. Which, ironically, up. is a much better payment currency. That is weird. Right? It's USDC. <laughs> uh, we never saw that. It's like the Toblerone logo. Or the FedEx one. I'll be right back. Hopefully before the meeting ends. <laughs> yeah, it is like the FedEx one where you just don't see it until you see it. Um, but yeah, now I will never not see Dash as USDC. See? Look. It's, it's great. Um, I know Doug hopped off. We're, we're obviously over, um, but that's that's fine. We have quite a few people still watching. Um, are there any other topics that you want to talk about that happened to Monero in the last month? I mean, we didn't really talk about the Bittrex delisting, but I think the general consensus was that that seems isolated to that specific exchange. You know, Kraken has very clearly said, we don't see anything on our end that would prompt us to have any concerns here. Um, so, you know, that I know that was a, bu a bunch of negative news, but, you know, it's it seems seems an issue between them and their regulator that might not even be Monero related. It might just be like their own issues they have to deal with. Um, but uh, yeah, what else? What else has happened in Monero it, in the last it month? It certainly impacted the price. I mean, with respect to Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I have to be, I mean, we saw eventually dropping below two long-term support levels the uh, in on the bitcoin chart and it, and it's testing the the you know like really long-term support levels so so that uh that could be the trigger but i mean i uh i think there's a bit more to this issue i think it's more the perception but also the problem is that it, it's not just one it's like a death by a thousand cuts approach that this is you know all of these different exchanges and people are starting to get nervous so that's why we had to respond to Finson. What did I miss? Oh, I don't know if anyone, this is not to jump on one last thing. The OCC put out uh, a request for comment saying that banks can't discriminate against specific types of industries broadly that are legal. Um, they can't say, you know, this whole industry is higher risk and you won't touch it. And that obviously doesn't help marijuana companies because it's still illegal on a federal level so it doesn't help them but for cryptocurrencies which are legal right um obviously that that helps that they can banks can no longer just be like yeah we don't want to touch this industry they have to like specifically justify things which is cool um that's obviously not implemented yet but it's super close and oh my gosh binary fate Hello. oh my gosh good to see you yeah same uh, i was afk but then um just coming back, I saw you were uh, having fun, so just popping in. <laughs> Hello. You look so different, dude. Yeah, I shaved. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> we yeah, you look with... about like you. You look like you might be twenty-two years old now, no? Oh, nice. I'm I'm going up there. No, I'm, uh -huh. I'm actually older than that. I'm twenty-three now, so uh -huh. I'm I'm basically retired at this point. You know, Dang. what else is left in my life? So what did I interrupt? Um, Talking about the OCC and <laughs> a new response, I believe, was what uh, you walked in on. Yeah, they're 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 making it in the U.S. There, there's a proposal such that banks can no longer say we just don't want to touch certain legal industries. It's like some like Bank Inclusion Act or something like that. So that'll definitely help. 
cryptocurrency businesses if that goes through because at the moment like i have a nonprofit right the, the magic 501c3 nonprofit and we have a bank account but i've talked to like even local credit unions and things and they're like yeah we just don't have, we have a policy of just not allowing any cryptocurrency related business and it's like we're we're not doing anything remotely illegal right <laughs> Like we are so not elite. We, we have a carve out that we don't need to ha have federal taxes because it's such like a benefit to society, but no, it's, you know, the bank just doesn't want to touch it. So do you think Kraken's bank will take customers? I really hope so. <laughs> that would be pretty neat. How many people hands up with, probably Kraken... out with Kraken day one? This guy. Well, I, um, I had an account with Kraken um, and five years ago, and, and I think one of the biggest problems that Kraken was having is all these flaky payment processes that they had. Anything but Europe, they, they did really, really well. They had a good relationship with, with, with the bank in Europe, and they can access SIBA, and everybody in Europe loves them. But once you once you are dealing with anything else, I mean, it's I have no bank for anyone else. money between... Um, uh, US and Canada, and they went through this German payment process. It was like five years ago, and I think it went on and on and on with the KYC for like a month. And, wanted, and, and it was like $23,000 or something. And, and so they're getting a banking license is probably the idea is that they can deal with that bank. You know, they have a banking with that bank and avoid a lot of these issues. I cannot understand. Yeah, you're kind of quite a bit hurt, man. It might just be your connection. The video is actually. Yeah, well, I don't find it. Yeah, no, the 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 video is the problem. Um, the uh, so I my take about the Kraken banking license is that to make it a lot more useful for people in the United States and North America because now they've got the access to the banking, and that may be the reason why they did that. But this this is very yeah, I guess you're right. You know, that's if you if you can't get a banking account, well, and it's they figured out it's easier. Why don't you just become a bank? <laughs> and and, and, and so other, they, uh, go ahead, I got mine. Yeah, so they become a they become a uh, a bank themselves, and I suspect that's why they did that. Uh, to get around that problem. Well, I'm glad they just had the resources to do it instead of just being told no, 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 repeatedly that they actually go out and do something about it. <laughs> the U.S. is actually one of the places where it's the entry level to start a bank is actually relatively low compared to most other countries in the world. It's actually, there's a lot of banks and credit unions in the United States. There's more banks and credit. It's about, I think I calculated one point. There's about three to four times the number of banks and credit units in the United States than there are Dash Master notes. Isn't Germany known for having a bunch of small banks? I've heard of that a few times. I'm not familiar on that one, but the U.S. is definitely the one for small banks. How, what, how is this? Is it like CCS level easy? Could we just make a proposal and start a bank? Well, it's uh, in the what I've heard. The numbers that I've heard is in the range of about forty million dollars. Yeah. Okay. Well. 
which is definitely Anyone not do that, you know. Which is not like in Canada where you need a lot more to do that. I think it's one very, of the cheapest ways to actually do it is through Puerto Rico. You can get like a Puerto Rican license, assuming you don't offer services to people in Puerto Rico. Fun fact. But uh, that requires like only like five million ish. It's basically just you know that, that that's my normal night out, you know. But that's your uh, your capital requirement. So your budget you're talking about there, it's not money you spend, but just a capital requirement. So that's uh. So I can see why they went that route uh, with Kraken. Any other final Monero topics for the month? Nothing for me right now. Uh, are we going to have uh, a text meeting at some point in the future for Monero space? And if so, do we want to announce a date for it right now? Yeah, sure. I, I don't think we're going to have one tomorrow unless there's a big reason to, but I think uh, otherwise we'll have one next Sunday. So Okay, perfect. Sunday the uh, 17th. And um, also, there should be new content coming to the Monero Space YouTube channel instead of just these. Um, we have uh, American Pegasus that is working on uh, a weekly Monero news show, like five to 10 minutes. This will so, be very interesting. So those obviously won't be shared in the Monero subreddit because it is very much supposed to be price talk discussion. But I was looking around, I'm like, you know how many idiots have like their own YouTube, you know, weekly price show or whatever? We need one, we need at least one that's related to Monero. So, boom. No one asked, but here we are. Um, also, a news one should be coming out, too. That'll be a more of like, uh, what happened last week? Sort of like Revoil. Um, so that one's probably a bit further out, but we're hopefully not far. Um, well, we might even have the first trading, the Monero Mooncast is what it's going to be called. Um, that, that might come out this week, actually. Depends if we get our shit together. Right. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks. Thanks, thanks everyone for, for coming to the meet. Um, thanks, Binary Fate, for joining. It was great. It's great to see your your yeah. face. <laughs> Literally, you look you look you look like you're like twenty something. You like you look like you're in your like late mid late twenties. Oh yeah. I, I wish to let to my back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Thanks for organizing. Yeah. Yep, thanks, thanks everyone for being here. Um, sorry we couldn't end with Arctic Mind's face, but we all know his voice. Oh, yeah, I can, I can open it up. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. Thanks everyone for joining. Thanks everyone for asked questions on YouTube and joined us. Uh, we will catch you again, hopefully next week for uh, the, you know the Monero Space meeting on IRC. Otherwise, we'll be on in about a month for our next Monero meet, and hopefully you'll see our news and uh, also trading mooncast before then so uh take care bye thanks guys bye bye, -bye.